We are going to finish this morning with some more worship and communion at the end of the service today. Before we do that, I want to finish up, wrap up the series we've been in called I Am East Point. And today we're going to take a look at our mission as a church, what our primary purpose is, and why we exist. Now, for some of you, you're going to go, I've heard this, I've been there, I've gone through the point, I know all about this. Great. Uh, I hope you feel affirmed and encouraged and that you get it well enough that you, be, you can pass it on to others. If you're a seeker and you're here today, you're invested in Christianity, uh, I hope you'll see why we love the fact that you're here and why we love and care uh, about you so much that we've actually designed our Sunday morning services with you in mind. And uh, if you've ever ridden a bus, and I haven't done so in a while, but um, for a while I used to take a bus quite a bit. And if you ever get on a bus, you know that you've got to read the marquee, whatever that is. What's that called? The, the sign on the top that says where this bus is going. Because you get on the wrong bus, that's a bad thing. Uh, it takes you someplace you don't want to go. And what I hope today is that you're going to see uh, the marquee on the bus, that you'll understand where this bus is going, and that you'll want to get on, and that you'll want to go with us. And by the way, let me mention one last thing just as a point of information. We do have a new East Point Twitter account, and I would encourage you to use that. If you've got your phone, you can text, uh, Twitter, uh, tweet at uh, EPC4Me, EPC4, the number 4Me, and uh, send us your questions and comments as well. We'd love to respond to those. A man in our very first year as a church. We had just passed our 10-year anniversary this last January. And in our very first year, we were, how many were at the old Mission in Argonne facility? That's been, yes, that's awesome. That was a long time ago. And it was a nice facility, but very, very small and very crowded. But a guy came up to me in the, in the early part of our, our beginning of, as a church. And he said, I really wish we'd do more worship. I just love worship. And, and just about the time I feel warmed up, you know, we're 15, 20 minutes into it, and we stop. And I'd like us to do more. It's just not enough for me. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, I love worship too. If you know anything about me, you know I love to worship. And that's why we do have our worship nights. I'm the guy here, and I'll go 45 minutes with my hands raised or my eyes crying or my heart singing because I love worship. But I said, I love worship too. But I said, brother, you need to know that we design our services with the unchurched in mind. Not just for them, but we thought about them. And 15 plus minutes is pretty stretching for, for people who don't know Christ, who don't know God, or don't have any experience in worship. Well, needless to say, he wasn't that happy with me, and I'm not sure he got it. Uh, about a year later, same building, same facility, a woman came up to me and loved this lady. I, I still do. I did then, still do. But she came up and she said, I'd like to bring some banners or flags with me to uh, worship. Uh, was that okay? And I said, no, uh, please don't. It's, it's not okay. And I said, I understand that flags and banners enhances your worship experience. And I'm not critical of that. Uh, for some people, it's a very powerful part of their worship in some, some places. But I, I looked at her and I was honest. And if you guys know me, you know, if I'm anything, I'm honest. Uh, sometimes to a fault. But I just said, you know what? I said, honestly, I said, seekers, people who don't know God, they just think that's weird. I mean, you know, run around, flies. you might do that at a Seahawks game, maybe, but in worship it just doesn't work. And besides the fact we were very crowded in that room and didn't have room to do it. Well, she ended up at another street down, uh, a church down the street that does that on a regular basis, and I was fine with that. Honestly, I could tell you quite a few stories. I really could, about interactions I've had with folks over the years. You know, I've been doing this pastor church thing for a long time. I've been in church all my life. And I've been exposed to lots of different varieties and flavors and kinds of churches. And uh, one of the things I've learned is all kinds of variety in the body of Christ. And hear me, listen, and that's a good thing. As long as they love Jesus, I don't care, you know, what style they may embrace or what they do. Because there's all kinds of variety in the body of Christ. That's a good thing. 
But one of the things I've also learned in, in the years that I've been doing this, and in our years here at East Point, is that I'm comfortable in my skin. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, no. But I'm comfortable in my own skin, and I'm comfortable with the direction God's taken our church. And so I, I want to talk today about this because um, I, I could tell you a lot more stories of people who didn't get it, don't get it, and I desperately want you to understand the why. Even if you don't like it or disagree, at least my hope and prayer is that you'll understand why we do what we do around here. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 19 if you've got your Bible. Luke, the 19th chapter. Um, I didn't mention this to the ushers. Uh, if you need a Bible, ushers, would you mind grabbing some and just put your hand up. If you'd like a Bible, if you don't have one at home, please feel free to take this as our gift to you. But ushers, if you grab some Bibles, guys, they're in the walls back there. Sorry. Should have mentioned this before. But we'll be in Luke chapter 19. One of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels. Certainly one of my favorite in the, in the book of Luke. And Luke 19 uh, tells the story of a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, how many of you grew up in church like I did? Remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man? Should we sing it? No, let's not. But uh, it's, a, it's a favorite story. Mine always has been, but I want to read it to you. Luke 19, let's pick it up verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he's entering into a city, and uh, he's just on the road. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. This guy had lots of bucks. He was an IRS guy, pretty much is what it means. But he, uh, he, he had a lot of money and, and a, a position of power and authority. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, he probably heard about Jesus. Every indication is that he'd heard about this rabbi from other people. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, if you're height challenged, you know what it's like to be in a large crowd of people trying to see something. And that's the way Zach felt. He says, I can't see. And the people are crowding the road. And Zach wanted to see what was going on. So verse 4, so he ran ahead. He's a smart feller. Ran ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. Now, this is a chief tax collector. He's got money. He's got position. He's got power. He's probably in the, in the longer uh, robe, you know, attire of the day. And climbing up a tree, a sycamore tree, even though they probably had lower branches, it's not a really easy, and I, I imagine, I don't, we have no idea, but because of his position as a chief tax collector, meaning he'd been doing it for quite a while, he's probably at least a middle-aged guy, maybe an old guy like me. Tried to climb a tree as a 56-year-old man, I'm telling you, it's not easy. I was with my grandchildren not too long ago, and it's like, no, you go, I'll just watch. Um, and so I'm, I'm seeing Zach struggling, breathing hard, sweating, struggling to get up on this tree. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Jesus is speaking. And he come right, came right to where Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Get down here. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once. Zach climbed down the tree and welcomed him gladly. What I want you to see is that Jesus valued seekers so much so that he took the initiative to invite Zach in. I, I just, there's a little bit of insight into the heart of Jesus here that blesses me a great deal. Did Jesus know who this guy was? I'm sure he did. And if he didn't know it naturally, supernaturally, I know he did. And he looked up and, and he saw this guy this huffing and puffing and sweating like a, you know, a horse up on this tree. And, and he went right to him and said, hey, come on down. I'm going to your house today. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. All the people. What people? All the religious people. The religious people didn't like what Jesus did, and they didn't understand it. And trust me, the overwhelming majority of these people were faithful, good Jews. They followed the Torah. They were religious. They thought they were righteous. They thought they had it all figured out. And they saw what Jesus did, and it pushed a huge button in them. 
What is Jesus doing? I thought he was a great guy and he's inviting himself to go to that guy's house? That man? No way. And they muttered. I like that word, muttered. I don't really like the fact that they did it. But they complained and they griped. The religious people didn't like what Jesus did. Can I suggest that they didn't understand? They didn't see it. All they saw was a guy. They didn't see a life the way Jesus did. Verse 8. They're having dinner. Apparently, there's some interaction that's taken place. We don't know all that took place here, but we pick it up later in the story, verse 8. But Jesus, excuse me, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. What's happening here with Zacchaeus? I'm going to use an old word, an old religious word that's powerful. He repented. He was going this way, and he said, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go this way. And I truly believe, again, missing some of the conversation, the interaction here in the story, that Zacchaeus came to a point where he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he had this encounter with a living God in Jesus, and it changed his heart. Verse 9, Jesus said, and I said, I'm sure he said with great compassion and with some excitement, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of God. Of Abraham. Jesus recognized and validated Zacchaeus's radical change of heart. And then verse 10 kind of wraps up the story where Luke puts this. Here's the point. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, Jesus said, came to seek and to save the lost. You know, this is not the only time where Jesus made his mission clear. It's not the only time where he talked about why he came to earth. But there's absolutely no doubt about his purpose. He came to reach lost people, people just like Zacchaeus. Luke 4, 43, another passage in Luke says this. Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. Jesus said, I have to do this. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that's why the Father sent me. Here's the first thing I want you to understand today. And if you're taking notes, write this down. To follow Jesus is to do what he did and to love whom he loves. To follow Jesus is to do what he did. If you say you're a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, can I make this clear to you today? That means we follow and do what he did. We want to do what he did and we need to love those whom he loves. And of course, Jesus cared for his disciples Of course, he taught them and he challenged them and he invested his life in them. He chose 12 men and he had a larger group than that that he invested in, but 12 guys that he poured his life into. But let me remind you, the last command of Jesus, the last statement he made to his disciples, we call it the great what? The great commission, that's right, was all about going into all the world to make disciples. Jesus poured himself into these guys and the very last thing he said to them is now, go and make disciples of all nations. And making disciples, listen to me, doesn't mean just making smarter Christians. He didn't say go out and just do a bunch of seminars and and make sure all the religious people get it and understand everything they need to know. It meant then and it means now that we're to go proclaim and be the good news and bring people into relationship with God. God chose a nation of Israel, not just because he wanted to choose somebody and make them special. He chose them to be a light in the, uh, amongst the nations, to, to be a, a nation that would point people to relationship with God. They missed it. They didn't get it. And he wanted to make sure his disciples understood, here's the deal. You go and you proclaim and be. I love, it's not just telling, but it's, it's showing. 
Go proclaim and be the good news and bring people into relationship with the Father. There is no question about why God sent Jesus. And there's no question about the heart that he has. Perhaps one of the most well-known scripture verses on the planet, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish in, up in hell for eternity, but will have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. There's no question about his heart. And I want, I want you to understand, I think it needs to break our hearts. There's no question about what, what must break our hearts or why we exist. We are here to continue the mission of Jesus, to reach lost people, people just like Zacchaeus. Here's the second thing I want you to hear today, that if you have God's heart, you will embrace God's mission. If you have God's heart, you will embrace God's mission. And make no mistake about it, this is a heart issue. The mission of Jesus is not just God's business plan for the church. Some of you are business guys and you've developed business plans. I have. It is not that. It's not just God's business. Here's the steps I need you to take so that you can go and do all the things I want you to do and accomplish some great task and become successful. It's way more. It is the heart that God wants us to have. And this mission of God, this heart of God, has got to be in our souls, got to be in us. It's got to be the blood in our veins and the air in our lungs. We must bleed for the lost and broken just like Jesus did. The more we have the heart of God, the more we'll live for the mission of Jesus. I believe that. You know what I pray? I've said this to you guys many, many times before, but if you're new, you need to hear it. Many, I, thousands of times over the last 10 years, I have prayed for you. I've prayed for our church. I've laid hands on these chairs. I was here yesterday and walked through this room and every chair you're sitting in right now had my hand on it and I prayed. And you know what my prayer is? God, give us your heart. God, give us more of your heart. Because people who have the heart of God, they long for God, they're hungry for God and they wanna do the same thing Jesus did. We need more of his heart. And we need to understand that the mission is clear. The church exists for those who are not yet in it. And that's why East Point, this church, is and will continue to be a church for the unchurched, the de-churched, and the spiritually abused part of the church. There's unchurched people, those who just have zero background and almost no history with the church, except maybe C&E, Christmas and Easter, and man, we want to be a place for them. There's de-churched, there's a lot of de-churched people. People who grew up in church for a while, they might have been a part of the church. Maybe they went to church, they got mad, they got hurt, something happened, and they left, and they've been out of it for a long time. I met a, a guy a, a few weeks ago here in our church. He said, I haven't been in church for 10 years, but I'm back. Well, that's a guy that was de-churched, but he's back. And we're here for the spiritually abused part of the church. Unfortunately, there are parts of the body of Christ that tend to spiritually abuse people and lay on them uh, the law and guilt and shame and religiosity in a way that does not set them free, does not bring the joy of Jesus into their heart. And there are leaders, there are churches, I know this, I am brokenhearted over this, but that do abuse people and they hurt people. And some of you have come from churches like that, and it was scary for you to show up here. Because you thought, man, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to go through that again. But we're a church that's for people like that as well. Now, of course, listen carefully to me. We must care for the sheep, the already redeemed, the already convinced. We will. We provide life groups, life classes. 
Every Sunday, we teach messages that are filled with content that can be applied in anyone's life, whether they're a seeker or not, whether you're a Christ follower for 50 years or not. Of course, we must care for the already redeemed and the flock and disciple people, but listen to me, and if you don't agree with me on this, that's okay, but here's my passion, and here's what gets me up in the morning. You know why we do that? We do that to equip people for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? It is the mission of Jesus. The four core values that we've covered, the reason I'm wrapping this up today with this message called the impossible mission is because the four core values that we've talked about, love, connect, serve, and grow, they're on the wall in the lobby. It's what we talk about around here on a regular basis. Those four core values that we've covered are intended to help us fulfill our God-given mission. We love God. We love people. We have to. We connect with others better in the body of Christ, and we connect with people in our world and our sphere of influence. We serve sacrificially for the benefit of others. Some of you, and thank God for those of you that serve faithfully around here to make this a place where people can come and hear the good news. Some of you work in Adventureland, and I'm so grateful for those of you that will serve in that area in a place that's, that's filled with kids sometimes, but you do that to make this place a place that's comfortable for those that don't know Jesus yet. We serve sacrificially for the benefit of others. We grow in our faith. Not just, boy, I preached it last week. If you missed it, missed it, go listen to it online. We grow, yes, but we don't grow just to become superstars in and of ourselves, to be strong on, uh, just for the sake of strength, just so I can walk around and look like I take, you know, steroids all the time. That's not why we grow. We grow so that we can become the men and women God has destined us to become, and those are men and women who are to be disciple makers. We're here to fulfill our God-given purpose on planet Earth. And let me say this, if I haven't already ticked some of you off, this probably will. It's not about you. It's not just about you or me. The heart of Jesus is otherly. And always to focus more on the needs of the needy and the lost, the disenfranchised and the broken. Read the Gospels. And tell me that you don't see Jesus sacrificing again and again and again, and then the ultimate sacrifice, he gave his life. Why? For the lost, for the broken, for those who are far from God. Matthew 9, 36 is when he, Jesus, saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, most of us don't really relate to the sheep without a shepherd thing as much because we haven't been around that. But Jesus had compassion on them, and, and we, you'll relate to it this way. I was at coffee with the guys on Tuesday, and we're over here, wake-up call, and, and out the window there's a dog attempting to cross uh, Sullivan. Not a good idea. And the dog was all by itself. And a couple of the guys, dog lovers like Matt, oh, you know, and I could see Matt's like, oh, you know, this, it's because we, that's the way Jesus saw us. We're like dogs wandering down Sullivan and Sprague. And it, I'm not saying that in a negative way because I love dogs too. I'm not saying you're a dog. I'm saying we're like dogs. We're wandering and we're in danger. And we're in, we're in danger of, of, of death and destruction. And Jesus saw people just like that. And it broke his heart. When's the last time your heart was broken for the lost in your world? For the lost in your family? I walked this room yesterday and most of the time, I'll tell you, I wept. Because it was one of those times again where God said, I'm going to give you more of my heart. I pray, Lord, give me more of your heart. I pray that for you. I pray it for me. Be careful what you pray. Because <laughs> when you say, God, give me more of your heart, 
and the Lord starts to do it, it you, I ate. My, my heart literally ached yesterday as I wept for family members I have that are far from Jesus. Neighbors who are going to spend eternity in hell. You think, well, that sounds harsh. Yeah. That's what motivates and drives me. That's what motivated and drove Jesus to the cross. The primary work of the church is to reach those who are far from God. Our primary function is to reach those who don't know Jesus yet. And if you have God's heart, you will embrace his mission. And if you don't, and if you haven't wept for your lost kids or parents or brothers or sisters or aunts or friends or coworkers, if you haven't had moments where your heart just literally ached over the people around you, then I, I, I challenge you in Jesus' name, ask God to give you more of his heart. And then be ready. Am I talking about just emotionalism? No, not necessarily. But I, I cannot imagine having the heart of God and not being broken, not weeping and wailing for those around us that are far from him. If we have God's heart, we're going to embrace his message. Here's the mission. Here's the last thing I want to land on today. And we know, that, we know this, and I've said this before. I will continue to say it. Everything we do at East Point is a bridge to some and a barrier to others. Everything we do right here, I know. Some will love us and what we do. They'll walk in these doors and, and they'll think, wow, this is a really inviting, non-religious environment and I hear music that I like and what, they've got drums and they'll see a pastor in jeans and they go, man, I really like this. this is, I feel comfortable. Others will walk in here and they immediately will have some issues. They'll think, where is the reverend in his robe? You know, and, and they, they'll think, man, where's the stained glass? What's up with the fluorescent lights? Are those holy? You can't use those in church, can you? I mean, there, there are people, and, and we know everything we do around here is a bridge to some and a barrier to others. And listen to me, we're good with that reality. You see, our experience is those without Christ or those running from him, the, we tend to call them prodigals, so the Bible refers to them as prodigals. Those that are far from God, they come... I, Time and time and time and time again. What I hear is they find our approach, our style, our methods, and even our rawness a bit refreshing and appealing. They like it. Religiosity tends to reek of hypocrisy. And our culture, our world, those far from God, don't want to have anything to do with a church that um, is self-righteous or phony. And they can smell it. And I think it's a good thing that they can smell it. But they don't want to have anything to do with that. And so, you know, the reason why we're pretty raw and real around here is because we think that's the way it should be. But I want to give you five things, and I'm just going to punch through these, five things that you need to know. And there are probably 25 things I could cover. But here are five things that are really important things that you need to know about uh, the, the, the bridge versus barrier environment we're in. First, what we do and the way we do it, we do it on purpose. Believe it or not, we actually think about stuff. And uh, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> you get Come on, loosen up. We actually, we, we, you know, we plan. We pray hard. We have planning meetings every Tuesday. We do a review of the Sunday morning services, and we talk about how to do them better. And we bathe it in prayer. I pray all the time. We pray. We believe that God, the Holy Spirit, can speak in advance. That, you know, some people, well, this should be just more spontaneous. Well, there's nothing wrong with being spontaneous, but here's my conviction. If God can speak to me now, he can speak to me a week ago. And, and I can pray and hear God and get direction. And I go on these study weeks 
where I work on the quarter messages ahead. I'm usually three months ahead. Not all written, but a synopsis of where we're going and what we're going to do. And by the way, give you a little sneak peek. January through Easter, we're going to walk through the book of Mark. And it's not going to be a verse by verse. It's going to be big idea by big idea. And Mark 16 is the resurrection, and that's Easter Sunday, and that's what we're going to do. And I pray and, and, show, and ask God to show me what he wants us to do and what we need to land on. We plan, we prepare, we actually do what we do around here on purpose. We do. Now, there's a second thing you need to know that's very close to the first thing. Does that mean we always get it right? No. The second thing is we are not perfect. We are in process just like you are. And there are a lot of things we know that we can and need to improve. I'll just give you one that I hear all the time. And I understand that we have some sound challenges in this room. It's a metal roof, guys. Look at the walls. They're pretty much naked. They're bare sheetrock. That's got seven layers of sheetrock. Thank you, City of Spokane Valley. You know, we... we we got rock, we got steel, and we do the best we can with what we've got. We really need to spend about twenty-five dollars to $35,000 on acoustical tiles. If you really are ticked off about the sound, write a check. <laughs> Our board is like nine years old. It, it's, it has got channels that don't work. There are things that we need to improve. They, well, you know, and what does that cost? You know what a new digital board costs? Another $25,000. You guys have no idea what it takes to do church. And again, we're doing the best we can with what we've got. Have you ever told that to your kids? Honey, we're doing the best. Yeah, I know. The, I'm not sure the car's going to start. Let's try. No, pray more. You do the best you can with what you've got. And we, but we're aware that there's things that we can do better. We get that. We understand that reality. We're not perfect. But we're growing. And here's the third thing related to that one, is that we value tweaking. We will adjust and change whatever's needed whenever it's needed. Ask the staff around here how many times we've made org changes around here. You know, they'll laugh. We, you know, we'll tweak whatever needs to be tweaked. We are, nothing outside of Jesus and the word of God is sacred to us. And sometimes churches get so embedded in their methodology that it becomes sacred and it's not. Our style, our methods, our um, organizational approach is not untouchable to us, and it never will be. And here's the other thing you need to know. Change happens, and it will continue to happen. And again, we're good with that. We're going to tweak things as necessary. Think, well, I just got used to that, and then you go and change it. Uh Uh-huh, I'm sorry, things tweak. We change. We're trying our best. We're trying to improve. We'll adjust whatever we feel like we need to adjust, whatever we need to adjust it for the sake of doing it better to glorify God. Here's the fourth thing you need to know. We sincerely believe that nothing is too secular to be made sacred by our God. It's an old A.W. Tozer quote. Let me give it to you again. That nothing is too secular to be made sacred by an almighty God. What does that mean? Well, that means that we're good with using secular music at times, uh, that's not written by a Christian, not performed by a Christian band. You might notice sometimes you'll walk in here and the music and think, wait, I think I heard that on the radio. That's not a Jesus song. Why would we do that? Back to point one. We did it on purpose because we want people who are far from God to walk in here and hear something that's familiar to them. And they go, and immediately, and music's powerful in the way that it communicates and puts us at ease. Guys, flashback, let me just, I'm, uh, what time does the Seahawks play? 
Let me just flash, uh, flash back to the first time you walked in. Some of you need to remember this. The first time you walked into a church and you didn't know God or you'd been out of church for a long time or you weren't sure what to expect, remember how terrified you were? I met a, a girl a few months ago, and I won't mention where she works. She works nearby here, and I'll just call her, for lack of a name, Betty. That's not her name. But I knew her. I'd seen her. I'd, I'd, I'd seen her where she works. And she was sitting out in the lobby. And I said, I went, hey, good to see you here. I said, have you been here before? No, it's my first time. And I said, well, I'm so glad you came. She said, and here's what she said, and I quote, I'm terrified. God bless her. She came. She walked in the doors, but she had no idea what to expect. Some of us need to remember what that's like to walk into a place where everybody else is comfortable. I call it the curse of knowledge, when you forget what it means not to know. I love knowledge. I'm not kidding. Knowledge is a curse. The curse of knowledge is that we forget what it's like to not know and to not be in that place. And we'll use whatever we can. We'll use video clips. I occasionally will show a video clip. People go, you realize that's from an R-rated movie. I know. We bleeped out the, the, the words, so it's fine. And, but, but why would we do that? Because it made a point. Because it's like people go, oh, wow, that was funny, or that connected with me. Here's another little example. You might, some of your parents, you have fourth and fifth graders. Uh, we are using right now a curriculum in October. That's, 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 it's, it's not about Halloween, but it's about scary stories from the Bible. And it kind of, it we're playing off of that whole Halloween thing. And some of you, I know how you feel. Halloween's demonic and I will not be a part of a church that... Get over it. Because what we want to do is reach these kids who go everywhere and see it all the time and show them, you know what? Let's talk about scary things out of the Bible, but how God is bigger, how God is greater, what we can learn. We will use the secular to reach into our culture with the sacred. Boy, I'm in so much trouble already. I can see. Fifth thing, and this is the, the fifth thing I want you to notice, our, our view of Sunday morning services, that is the top of the funnel. I've got a picture I want to show you. And I have my, look at me, I have my little laser pointer. Uh, if you've been through the point, you've seen this picture. Uh, I've showed it to you before. But, you know, right over here are the four core values, love, connect, serve, grow. Over here is the funnel. And what we believe Sunday morning is the top of the funnel. And it is the public space that we invite people into. And we want you to invite people into. And we want this to be a safe place. It's our weekend service. A safe place to discover grace. Now here's the argument sometimes made. I've heard it a gazillion times. Bring it to me because I'll go, I'll go nose to nose with you on this one. The argument is churches like East Point and Willow Creek and Saddleback and Unit Life Center, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. No, they're not. They are a mile wide. We want to be as wide open and embrace anybody and everybody. I don't care what their background, I don't care what they look like, I don't care what they believe. I want them to come here. It is a wide, it's a mile wide, but guys, it is not an inch deep. It goes all the way down. And the, we, our hope is here they'll find Jesus. Here they'll encounter God. Here they'll become a Christ follower. And then we'll get them involved in the social level, which is our life groups, or, or, in our, I mean our, our uh, uh, activity groups, Bunko with the ladies, um, uh, youth group, things that are smaller than this room, but still fairly safe. And then we want to get them involved in a personal level. And that's the life groups, where they actually begin to connect and rub shoulders with others. And the ultimate goal is to get them into an intimate setting where they have personal accountability with one, two, or three other people that are discipling them 
Like I do with my radical mentoring group, that's the goal. And the eventual goal, you can't read that there, but here's what it says. The eventual goal is we equip them to help people back here. We equip them to help them become effective at bringing people into the public space, at being effective at reaching those who are far from God. We equip to bring others into faith, and that's and one of the best ways we believe that to happen is right here on Sunday mornings. And that's why it's the top of the funnel. That's why it is what it is around here on Sundays and why we do everything we do and why we do what we can to rid our church of anything that makes it difficult for those who are turning to God because we care passionately for lost people. And unapologetically, we will be a church where church people, like most of you, are comfortable bringing your unchurched friends, family members, and neighbors. Guys, I mentioned to you I've been in church all of my life. And I've been a part of churches that I would never invite a friend to. I would have been freaked out if a friend was sitting next to me and, you know, something wacky happened. I, there are churches I've been a part of in my history that were so hyper-religious. And so, in fact, I was a part of a church in Hibbing, Minnesota, that literally told people, if you're a smoker, you're not welcome here. You know what? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Jesus. Are you saying it's okay to smoke? Don't, don't listen to me. What am I saying? I am saying the, God, the heart of God is I love people more than anything. And I want to reach lost people more than anything. And for a church to say, well, it's, this is not, you've got to meet our standard before you can come is wrong. It's not the heart of God will be a church where unbelievers can come and hear the life-changing truth that God cares for them and that Jesus died for their sin. And we'll create a space on sunny mornings, that public space, that's safe for them to discover grace. I agree with Andy Stanley, one of my heroes, a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. He says this. He said, I think every church should be a church irreligious people love to attend. Listen carefully. I wish I'd have written these words. I think every church should be a church irreligious people love to attend. Why? Because the church is the local expression of the presence of Jesus. We are his body. And since people who are nothing like Jesus love Jesus, people who are nothing like Jesus should love us as well. They should be drawn to us like they were drawn to him. Now, listen, I know the arguments. I know what some of you are thinking. I'm going to try to avoid at least 10 emails right here. Does that mean that we water down the gospel? Of course not. No. Does that mean that we only teach or tailor our content for non-Christians? No. Hello. Go out and pull any message you want off the internet and listen to it. And tell me it doesn't speak to Christ's followers. Tell me it doesn't challenge people who have known Jesus for decades to grow and to become more like him. We do not change our content, but we change our context. We change our approach. We, change, we create, a, create an environment where people feel safe. And that means we will tailor our experience to non-Christians. So our goal each weekend is to create a setting so appealing, a presentation so engaging, and life application content so helpful that unchurched people want to come back and that you want to invite them here. Why? Because that's the heart of God. And that's precisely what Jesus did. Watch this video with me and I'll wrap it up. Let's watch this together. When I was younger, we never really talked about church, or God for that matter, unless it was 
Easter or Christmas. When I did go to church, it was always very black and white. If you, if you do this, you shouldn't even be here kind of stuff. There was never any love, which I always found odd. I went about my life year after year knowing that I had faith in God, just nowhere to really express it. And after a while, I stopped going to candle lightings and holiday church services altogether. Then at age 16, I had my first real argument with God. My virginity had been taken from me, not given. A few years later, I fell into a depression, started using drugs, loved men who never loved me, just stopped loving myself. At age 21, I became pregnant. I wanted to have a mom and a dad, happiness and a real home, and not have to struggle for anything. So I adopted him out. I'm 26 years old, and recently I went out drinking with some friends, and I knew I shouldn't have been driving. So I fell asleep in my car until morning. When I awoke, I figured I was fine. So I began my trek from downtown to home, and I almost made it there until a car just about hit me. And instead of stopping, my instinct was to turn. I remember my car flying up onto the curb, but that was it. When I had regained consciousness, I had realized that I had smashed up against a fence, and my car was smoking. I'm still having trouble in the mornings with my memory. And by the end of the day, I get these headaches that just make me feel like my brain's gonna explode. So here I am, a 26-year-old, slight nerve damage in the whole right side of my body, sleeping wherever I can, and just officially lost. Then something happened to me on Sunday, April 28th. I woke up and I knew I wanted to talk to my mom. I wasn't sure what about, but I knew I had to talk to her. She had asked me if I wanted to come to church with her. A question, mind you, I had turned down many, many times. I didn't even give it a second thought. No pause, nothing. Just asked her when she needed me to be ready. As we pulled in, I froze. What was I doing here? How did this all happen? Halfway through the first song in worship, without warning, my heart just felt like it was on fire. The tears just started pouring out of me. Suddenly, I didn't feel alone. There was this rushing calm, the one that makes you feel like no matter how bad it gets, there's a reason you're still alive. And for the first time, I realized something, that it was never God bringing me my pain. He was trying to help me see my worth to him and in him. I don't feel as though I'm alone anymore. I am Mackenzie Olson, and I am East Point. I love that young woman. Yeah, go ahead. I love Kinsey. I love you. She's sitting right over there. She's why we're here. She found Jesus. She found a safe place to discover grace right here at East Point. And we could do a hundred videos like that, maybe more, of lives that have been deeply, profoundly changed because of what we do. And then they grow, 
and we invest in them, and they become wholehearted followers of Jesus who then invite their friends to come to find him here. The more we have God's heart, the more we're going to do what he wants us to do, and the more we'll do it with passion. If I've sounded angry to you this morning, forgive me. Don't misunderstand my passion as anger. But I am passionate about this issue because I think God is. By your hands, let me pray for you. Father, I, uh, I want and ask you, and I'm going to keep asking you, to give us more and more and more and more of your heart, God. That we would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, uh, aching over our lost kids, relatives and friends unless they come to know you, Jesus, will spend eternity in hell. God, I pray that you would give us more of your heart so that we will make whatever sacrifice is necessary, our time, our energy, our money, God, whatever it takes to be better, to reach more, to do it better. God, I know we're not the only church in this town, and I pray this for all the churches of Jesus, but God, I specifically, as the under shepherd over this one. I pray, Lord, help us get really, really, really good at reaching the 80 plus percent in our county who don't know you and are unchurched, dechurched. They're far from you. Help us, God, to do the mission better than we ever have before. Help us. I pray it in Jesus' name. We're going to take communion right now. Um, they're going to begin, the usher's going to hand it out, and we're going to start at the back and move forward today. I'm going to ask you to do this. Go ahead and take the elements. It's double cupped, crackers in the bottom cup. Take a cup and hold it. Just hold it, and I'll come back and we'll partake together. Uh, one of the reasons why we do this is to celebrate, to remember what Jesus has done for us. Ushers, come on, guys, come on. You hand them out. Uh, one of the things that I want you to hear today, though, if you're here, you're not yet a Christ follower. One of the reasons why uh, we didn't do this for a long time as a community is because I was worried about you. And I, I felt bad that you would wonder, what am I supposed to do? Or you'd be embarrassed if you didn't feel comfortable taking a cup. Listen, here's the deal. Nobody's watching you. It's, it's, it, it, trust me, it's okay. But what you are about to hold in your hand represents the sacrifice that God made for you in sending his son to die for you and your sins. And you hold that cup of grape juice and that little cracker this moment for you, listen, this moment for you can be the beginning of your journey of faith. You can partake today for the first time. You can take those elements for the first time as a Christ follower in your own heart to say, God, I get it. I see that you sent your son Jesus for me. And right here, right now, I embrace the cross, the, what, the sacrifice Jesus made for me. I'm going to take this communion today as a step of faith towards you. This can be your beginning. For the rest of us, let's hold the, the elements and we'll partake together in just a moment. After worship, I'll come back. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, it's because of your love that we live. It's because of what you did for us that we have redemption and forgiveness. It's because of you, God, we don't have to carry the, the weight of our guilt and our shame anymore. We can be free. We can truly live in joy, the joy that comes from walking in relationship with our God, our creator, our maker, our father. 
God, I just, I, I want that for every person in this room right now. I want that for every person in this valley and beyond, Lord. I want them to know what we know, to experience what we've experienced. And so I pray, God, I pray, thank you, that is because of you, that you sent your son for us, that we live. Send us, Lord. Paul wrote, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks for it, and he broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this little cracker now, in remembrance of his body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you drink it, do it to remember me. Will you remember why he came? Remember what he did. Remember the sacrifice he made for you and for the world now. Take the cup. Help us leave your Lord empowered now by that memory, provoked by that memory, prodded by that memory, to be bringers and includers, to, to be people who go proclaim and be the good news in our world. I pray that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you guys for uh, being here today and for listening. I want to encourage you to go. If you began your life this week. Um, go get into a relationship with other people. Tables by the doors. So it's for new believers. Got a packet material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Go check out the life groups. Get involved in those. But here's my biggest and most important prayer for all of us. Go be his light. Go be Jesus this week in your world. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.